Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Flying Sage podcast. My name is Michael, and I will be your host for this show. I'm really excited to be sharing this first episode with you, so thank you so much for being one of the first people to tune in. Since this is the first episode, I thought it would be beneficial to briefly introduce the Flying Sage for anyone out there who is not familiar. The Flying Sage is a secular community and apparel brand based in Vancouver, BC, on a mission to democratize transcendence using peer support to heal, connect, and transform. Bridging the under and above ground psychedelic communities, we facilitate events that bring diverse voices together for the mutual goal of co-creation, connection, finding inner harmony, and love. I started the Flying Sage with my sister Susan about two years ago now, and in the last eight months we have shifted the focus of the brand to building a psychedelic community. Now, in regards to this podcast, I really believe that honest conversations are so important these days. The pandemic of misinformation has made it difficult to sort through all the noise. And one of my big intentions for creating this platform is to try and do my part to help present clear and nuanced conversations around psychedelics and wellness. To start things off, we will be releasing one episode per month, and you can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. So diving right into things, today is Earth Day, and it was our intention to release our first episode focusing on the intersection of psychedelics and ecology. And our guest today is a perfect person to speak to about this topic. In today's first episode, I will be speaking with Zoe Helena. Zoe is an artist, environmentalist, and cultural activist best known for women's empowerment and sacred psychedelic plants and fungi, such as cannabis, ayahuasca, peyote, and psilocybin mushrooms. Zoe is also well known for psychedelic feminism, a concept she originated and popularized in support of women in psychedelics. Zoe founded Cosmic Sister, an environmental feminist collective and creative studio which has been serving the psychedelic space now since 2007. Cosmic Sisters Psychedelic Feminism Educational Advocacy Projects promote sacred plant spirit medicines as a way to jumpstart rapid cultural evolution, starting with female empowerment and representation. I first heard Zoe speak back in 2019 at the Spirit Plant Medicine Conference. I was really intrigued to hear about the work she was doing, and I hope that you feel the same way after hearing what she is focused on. Some of the main topics we discuss in this episode are earth rights, decolonization, psychedelic feminism, and archetypes. I hope you enjoy the episode, and without further ado, Zoe Helena. Thank you so much, Zoe, for joining me. It's a privilege to have you joining on the first episode of the Flying Stage podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I feel really great about this. I, I appreciate the invitation. I feel, feel very honored. So thank you. Of course. We had a lovely little chat here before we got started on a whole bunch of different topics. I'm hoping that we'll be able to navigate through the conversation and touch on just a few of these things, because I think there's lots of depth that you can bring to a lot of these exciting topics. So we talked a little bit about psychedelics. We talked about that and intersection with feminism. And so, yeah, I'd love to maybe dive a little bit more into the Earth side of things, because we are going to be releasing this episode on Earth Day. Yes. And so you had spoken to me a little bit about Earth rights before our conversation. And I was wondering if you could just maybe even just simply define that for us before we jump into that. And I also have a question for you after that about um, how the feminine and like how the focus on the feminine and on earth can kind of intertwine together. Um, but before we get to that, just like, yeah, like what, what exactly are earth rights for people that don't know what those are? Well, to me, it's all the same because to me, I, I, 
I honor my ancestors on my matrilineal side and they their creation myth, which is the earliest one we have, it's very, very old, is Gaia. Gaia was the first entity. She came out of chaos. So she arrived and she was all of life. And to them, that was Earth. But it was also all the other things around Earth, you know, the, the sky, the, the cosmos. And that it's not about her having a right. we're lucky to even be here in that way of looking at it. She's the one, she's the boss, (laughs) you know, she lets us live if you look at it from that perspective. But what has happened is that we as a species, because that really, again, is what we are. We have somehow gotten to a place in our evolution where we're not just about to destroy ourselves. We're going to take everything else down with it. And including the earth elements, and they're all connected. You can't say, oh, well, we're also destroying the ocean. Well, the ocean is a habitat for so many millions of species, amazing things, all that's in an ecosystem after ecosystem after ecosystem, because it's all over the world, connected. Every waterway is an ecosystem. Every, Every part of the planet is an ecosystem. Deserts, you may think there's no life. A lot of deserts have a lot of life. You know, all of these things are ecosystems and they're all part of the larger ecosystem, which is Earth. So Earth being, the way I look at it is Earth is a planet, okay? I think of it that way, whereas Gaia is a little more of, if you will, a divine feminine. And that goes into your other question, but you see, I don't separate them. But I also am not a religious person. So I acknowledge that this was probably a religion to the early, my my really ancient ancestors. And that's okay. It's a beautiful poetic way of looking at life. I love that. But to me, I look at it as more of a language. And the fact that she's a she works for me. It doesn't mean that the masculine isn't important. It doesn't mean that there has to be a divine feminine and only females can relate to that. I don't see it like that. I just kind of go, okay, I'm going to suspend disbelief and I'm going to let this goddess, this, this, early, early, the beginnings of all, the mother of all, she's going to be where I start with this experience of what I'm sharing. And from there, you know, they have their own creation myth. It gets very complicated. And interestingly, we have a lot of information about it. But then gradually, even that culture becomes patriarchal. And then after that, it gets weakened. As soon as it's really super, it gradually gets more patriarchal as it went through, even though they had goddesses divine feminine, amazing divine feminine archetypes. But those then, they, they became, as a culture, they worshiped these goddesses in a major way, but they were still super patriotic, uh, patriarchal. And then they were weakened and taken over by the Romans, who were even more patriarchal and more warrior-like and appropriated everything from the Greeks, if you will. These are all very simple terms, right? And then once that happened, the Romans didn't even keep that religion very long. They changed it to a religion that had one single father and one single son, and that's it. Um, There was a mother, but she's an incidental character. And I say character, you know, with love. She's a minor role, let's say, (laughs) you'd say in a movie, even though she's the son, the holy son's mother. So this is a big change from Gaia to Greek Orthodoxy. And that's just in my country. 
that's like my homeland on my mother's side. Right. That's just them. It's not all the others that it happened to. And it and it's complicated. And I'm learning it about it myself. I want to know the facts. When did it happen? How did it happen? They were forced, just like everybody else, on pain of death. They had to become Christian. And now that's how most of them identify. And they'd be upset with me. And I, I say this with great love because it's part of decolonizing. I'm sorry. Decolonizing is an interesting new term and movement in the world. I don't know if, are you familiar with it at all? Yeah, I'd say to quite a big extent. I mean, it's shown up a lot in the work that I've been doing with maps and something that came up a little bit, even in some of my studies. But yeah, I'd say I'm pretty, pretty familiar with it. it. It's a big term and it's, it's very generalized, but it becomes more specific as you do it for yourself because you start to learn your own backgrounds and your own particular, you know, recent as well as, as farther back ancestry because it both, it matters, all of it matters. But we're all living, if you're, you know, you're in Canada and that it has basically pretty much the same basis as we have here in the United States. And I also grew up in New Zealand and they also, when I say the basis, I don't mean the indigenous people. I mean, the people who conquered, right? They came from Britain. That was the British Isles. That was the empire. So the empire is who, that's our cultural ancestry in the nations that we live in. And the nations are very young. They're, they're, they happen to be, a, it's a human construct again, right? Because it's really just a, a geographical part of Earth, Gaia, if you will. And these humans have a territorial marker, which they protect. And then they create these ideas of, of culture and what is right and what is wrong and try to keep peace and have some sort of economic structure and all of the things that nations do. But we're... We basically, this, these nations, we share in common and lots of other ones share in common the British Empire. Sometimes there's also the French Empire. And you can kind of go into these sort of major colonial, more recent colonial entities, which always break down to me. Um, and that, again, this is not true. If you start to speak to indigenous people from all over the world, you'll start to see again, it's many different eras, different things happened, different conquerors came, different conquerors did different things and there are different dominator religions. But the thing that remains the same is the human aspect, the fact that it happens, it repeatedly happens, and that we inside, this is where it comes down to psychedelics to me, we are free inside, we need to be free, we're wild things, we can't, live in captivity and, and oppression. We don't function well. We don't thrive in that environment. Not, not long-term, not truly. We can survive and we can even do well, but we're not thriving when we're under the thumb of something oppressive. And these cultures that, you know, within the sort of decolonized movement, which again is vast, these are the things we're fighting. These are ideas that were put onto us and into us as children, as young adults, all the way through life. And they're everywhere. They're in our media, they're in our entertainment, they're in our government, they're everywhere. So that, I think it's a really amazing movement. And it's, it's for me personally, it's been huge. And I'm very fortunate to have a few really close women friends, cosmic sisters who are indigenous from various places in the world, 
I'm thinking right now of a woman who is Maori and a woman who is First Nations and Native American because she has dual citizenship and a woman who is Indigenous American, uh, Native American, if you will, but they're all Turtle Island. And then also in Peru, Shipibo women. It's two women who have really close connections with, and there are many others. So these conversations that we have keep leading us all to the same thing. We're having this a similar experience. We're finding that we are learning about we're sharing with each other how we've kind of woken up in our communities and we're not necessarily alone, but what we're fighting are our wonderful family members and other people in our tribes or our groups or our, our communities who aren't ready or don't want to open up to these things. You don't want to really look at these things. We have to look at these things. We can't remain you know, imprisoned by these ideas. And that is why I believe that is why psychedelics are, have been made illegal in the first place. That is why, because it's very hard to rule when everybody is free. <laughs> it doesn't go well together. Right. So I'm, I'm kind of, that's where I'm at with all of the, the, the earth rights, okay? Because we are the ones doing the damage. It's not happening because a meteor is going to hit the planet. It's not happening because the, you know, the sun is all these funny science fiction disasters movies. I love them. It's a guilty pleasure. But they're, they're, they're all non-human made disasters. I also love the human made disasters. It's another guilty pleasure. Probably when I was, it was because of when I was born. Right. You know, I, I grew up on these post-apocalyptic movies and your generation too. I know that there's so many of them and then there are a lot of ones that have a lot of young cast members. So your generation too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So something weird about post-apocalyptic movies being so popular I say that's a sign of the times, wouldn't you? Yeah, probably. I don't know. Maybe just something to do with people's like fascination with action. I, I was actually thinking this the other day. I forget what movie I was watching, but like I was just like thinking how weird it is to some extent that people really just get off on like all that action and like people fighting each other. And it's just like when you take a step back, it's like kind of interesting to to just see that. Like no, most people would never get into a fight in their life. But they live vicariously through. <laughs> well, yeah, that's an, that's another conversation. It is very interesting, and I don't have the answer to that. I'm so nonviolent; it's ridiculous. I'm one of those people who, if I hurt an ant because they shouldn't be where they are, I feel really <laughs> bad about it. You know, like oh, I'm so sorry. I won't do it again, and I really won't. Yeah. You know, I, I really have that kind of you know nonviolent. Per- I can get angry. And, you know, I can stand up for people. The only times I've ever gotten physical, we're standing up for others. But it's not in my nature. So it's really hard for me to understand that. But it's obviously part of being human. Yeah, totally. So thank you so much for all that you just shared. Like, there's honestly so many different pieces that we can dive into there. And I feel like that was such a rich, a rich share. Like we we talked a little bit there about uh, decolonizing not only the planet, but also our minds. And I think that was something that you were saying is a really good uh, is is one way that psychedelics can kind of potentially even help people connect more to themselves and to nature and to Gaia and to the earth. So that was an interesting point that I feel like we could go into a little bit, but maybe even before that, because just getting into this, you're, you're mentioning some distinctions between, you know, earth being the planet and then Gaia being the divine feminine. And I don't know about you, but like the, the, the term, the divine feminine and divine masculine comes up so much these days, it's thrown around all over the place. Yeah. And I'm just curious if you might, 
be able to elaborate a little bit on what in your opinion is like what is the divine feminine what does that mean what and how is it different from just the feminine i don't know like maybe you might be able to share a bit of your insight into that because to me it sounded like it was interesting you have a a very earth grounded definition of the divine feminine to me if i can if i can guess like it sounds like to, to you the divine feminine is is when the feminine is grounded in the earth and it's like and and you don't make a distinction in a sense between the earth and the feminine so I'm just wondering, does that resonate uh, as being true for you? And and can you elaborate a bit on that? I would say, first of all, like Gaia is not just the earth, earth, like the the soil. Gaia is all of life. So we also have, a, you know, we have the planets, the galaxies, the universes, et cetera, all of that. So I don't know where she ends. To me, she's earth in the sense that whatever keeps earth alive. But we're, we two are not alone. We're not alone in the universe. We're part of a massive ecosystem we can't possibly understand. We're just beginning to look because that's who we are. We're very curious mm-hmm, beings. Totally. So very interested what's happening with astronomy. It's fascinating. So when you think, when I think of Gaia, I think of Earth in 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 Earth's environment as a planet. And so Gaia is a, yeah, she's a divine feminine because to me, that is an archetype. And once we put things into an archetypal perspective, sometimes humans can communicate more freely about them. They can begin, we can begin to express more conceptually when we put somebody into an archetypal language. And that's where I come from because that's, I love that. I, I think that's wonderful, but I'm also very aware that that's what it is. It's a language mm-hmm. because, you know, it, there's, there's also the science of earth and I don't think that they have to necessarily be separated. I mean, you know, even Einstein said the arts and sciences and religions all wear the same branches, branches of the same tree or something yeah. to that effect. And it's true. It's true. So I look at this as part of our, our experience as human beings. And I love that. I love the mystery in that. And I think that the psychedelics being co-evolutionary allies, I really mean that. I mean that we we don't know who we would be if there were no natural psychedelics. And we find them. It's not like they come to us. We find them. And as Chris likes to say, he's an ethnobotanist, we noodle with the plants and fungi, we make things, we create special medicines, we, we're constantly making different types of, you know, tinctures and mix, mixing the brews, and we, you know, we do that, that's, that's a human thing. So these, these entities, if you want to look at it like that, or these chemicals, if you want to look at it like that, um, I like to say specifically what they are. And I like to say the sacred, because they're sacred to me, psychoactive and psychedelics, plants and fungi. And that to me covers it. I don't really care for the animal-based ones or non, non-plant or fungi-based frogs, etc. I know there are a lot of people really into it. I know too much about wildlife rights to The first thing I'm thinking about is that poor damn frog and not just the frog, but the species that that poor frog belongs to is I I understand humans too well. You're referring to Cambo here. And the other one too, the toad that you Yeah, the Bufo, the Bufo various for for 5-MEO. Amphibians are in terrible trouble. You know, people are so involved with this that they're not going to quit. They're not going to stop. They're not going to listen to this and go, oh, she's right. They're going to think, 
they're going to be strong and true to their to their frog and toad medicines and you know fine whatever i'm just saying that the reality is human beings go overboard with these things and hey we do that to plants too we do that with you know plants are there are plenty of 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 sacred plants and medicinal plants that are really being pushed to the edge they go extinct too right one of the cosmic sisters I really love is um, the executive director of United Plant Savers. It's a really wonderful NGO here that, that that's all they do. They look at the possible extinction of really important plants, medicinal plants. And the reason of the extinction is human caused. It's not, well, you could say it's climate change, but climate change is human caused. So, the, the point I'm making is that it, you have to go back to the point of we are the problem. Uh-huh. So I happen to love humans. I, I, I love myself. I love my friends. I love like I can't even tell you how many people I love so much love for humans. But we also have this other stuff. And yeah. and that's the big question. And, you know, I'm I'm going to be turning 58 in July. So I'm at that point of of thinking, you know, you all are going to have to take this over. And what's going to happen when I'm I'm not planning on offing myself anytime soon. I hope I have another 50 years. <laughs> I hope so too. I may not. I'm definitely in a different time of life. Let's just say that. So I'm at a place where, oh, wow, I've been working on this all my life. And we still are going over the cliff here. And it's not just me. Many people who I've, I've been around environmentalists and artists all my life. So I know that I'm. we've been fighting and fighting and fighting. And we're still, as a species, still destroying the planet. So it's going to be up to you all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me think, like, what is it going to take, you know? And and you kind of spoke a little bit to the, the role that psychedelics can play in improving our relation to nature. Because I think that's going to be a big part of it, right? Is, is allowing people, waking people up to the their direct connection to nature and and making them not only just cognitively understand but actually feel their connection to nature and them being part of it and you know you spoke to an interesting thing there it's almost like the shadow side right like we we have you say like and i feel the same way the humans are amazing there's so many humans that i love but we also have the shadow side right and it's like i wonder like maybe do you think psychedelics in helping people explore their own personal shadow side is going to help maybe our collective shadow be illuminated a bit more i think we absolutely have to start with ourselves like like i said you can't really heal anyone else and nobody can really heal you i mean a really great medical doctor can really help you if you like you know need stitches or something or an operation or something like that and a really great therapist or a psychiatrist can help you guide you and understand yourself but you are the one who does the healing Mm -hmm. period it's your responsibility because nobody else can so it's hard sometimes. It's some of the hardest things we do in life. But guess what? That's not new. That's being human. That's what all the plays, the songs, all the books, it's all written about that. They're written about the human condition. It hasn't changed. We don't change that much. We're young species. So in that sense, we haven't really evolved that much. But our cultures change. And the way those cultures affect us change. And the way we process those is is unique to ourselves. And to understand that is to understand yourself. So it really gets down to, I'm going to bring up, because I, I like to go back to my matrilineal line because I think it's it's very rich. Um, you know, that for apparently 1,500 years, which is a long run, the oracle at Delphi 
was popular enough to be a pilgrimage from many, many, many miles away. People from came from all over the world to to go to the Delphi, the Delphic Oracle, the Oracle at Delphi. And interestingly, because we're talking about Gaia, as I did my own ancestor medicine work, um, this is, by the way, right next to my village. Okay, it's like seven miles on an ancient path, and it's a gorgeous, gorgeous hike down overlooking all of what is now Delphi. Delphi didn't exist for a, a long time, and my village was there a lot, 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 lot longer. Um, but before it was Delphi, before there, there were sacred rituals there and in a cave, which were actually Dionysian, but you talk about shadow side, there are many people who think, and I like this approach, that Dionysus is a shadow side of Apollo. Okay, so Apollo has Delphi and Dionysus has his mysteries in the cave and the cave that he had the mysteries on is an actual cave and it's right there next to my village and it was Gaia's cave before it was Dionysus cave. So you see the literal takeover of the patriarchy. I love Apollo and I love Dionysus. They're very, very cool, divine masculines. And we haven't talked about that. We need to get back to that. Okay. But they they did take over the female, which was Gaia, which was about earth rights. And this is Earth Day. So I know I'm, I'm going to go round and round, but here you go. Okay. Another word I learned was timinos. I had known there was a word called timinos. I had to look it up. I wanted to know what is this timinos then? Is this real or is this just some new age idea somebody put out? Is this, this is there any evidence at all that it was timinos in the indigenous Greek universe? And, and it's, it is true. It was Timino, not Timinos. Now, why does that matter? I don't know. It just does. Because the early go with Gaia, you see, whereas Timinos is way later when it, it's much more patriarchal. So it's fascinating, but very much more patriarchal. So Gaia was the first one to have these ceremonies in the cave. And thousands of years later, it becomes Dionysus, Potentially, and I think the shadow side or an expression of the shadow side of Apollo, who is, you know, the the sun god, you know, the, the ultimate sun, the perfect sun, the golden boy, literally. Mm-hmm. And this Delphi was where people would come and they would, it was, it was an oracle. You could, they were going to tell your future. Okay. They're going to help you with your future. As you got there and people came from all over, like I said, they came in from, especially wealthy people would come from all over the world. This was a big deal, a real literal pilgrimage. So people would arrive. And when they came into Apollo's, this, this Delphic area, there were three maxims and all three of these maxims stand true today, in my opinion, so much so that it's just mind boggling. And um, don't forget, this was a psychedelic culture. So thousands of years of what we're doing right now with this, you know, psychedelic renaissance, this culture had been working with psychedelics for a very long time. And it was not the only culture either. There were cultures, and you know this, many different parts of the world working with plants and fungi and creating their cultures. But this is my own matrilineal side. I think all of these cultures that have been working with psychedelics for a long time found certain things out. My culture happened to have ways of leaving it behind for people to find. There was written word and they wrote it in stone. So a lot has survived. It also survived through stories, mythology, this is the word today, but the language of psyche, if you will. 
And what's important to me about this is these three maxims. The first one is know thyself, which is what made me think of this. What we're talking about when we talk about decolonize, in a sense, you're talking if you if you're talking about your own work, which is where it starts. You're knowing yourself. You're learning who you are. You think you know who you are. You have a good sense of who you are. You have the best sense of who you are. But you still have a lot to learn about yourself. And just like it is true of our species as a whole and our different subcultures as wholes, there are things about ourselves that we can maybe not change that are really truly our nature. Maybe we don't want to change, but maybe, you know, we don't know. Let's don't judge them. The things we can't change and the things that we probably can. And it's the same with humans. That is the thing I think that psychedelics can help us with. It can help us to see not only the things that have warped us, have hurt us, that are burdens to us, or turning our traumas and our, our, our difficult times into treasures. You know, that's another way of looking at the healing. Whatever it is, your path working on all these things inside you, the conditioning piece, that stuff you can look at. Every single piece of conditioning that you have, have accepted either consciously or, or subconsciously I think it's a good idea with these medicines to investigate these things and really in the space say, hey, do how do I feel about this as a grown up? You know, who am I? How do I feel about that's this particular idea that was put in my head by my culture that I've been living? You know, I've been actively in the world in that way. Is that something that I really wish to continue? Or is this really who I really am? And I feel great about it. Or even is this just human? And those are the things that that is the crux of it to me. That is the crux of my work. And it's, the you know, it's where I'm coming to. And again, I'm not alone. And that's exciting to feel that I'm part of the collective consciousness, to, to know that I'm in this current and I, I find others that are in a similar current and we're coming to similar con conclusions in many cases that feels hopeful to me. That feels like it's it's still possible for us to change in time. And, and you know, it's sad because <laughs> I don't want it all be depressing because <laughs> when I I keep coming back to humans, but we have because we are we are humans. We're li anybody listening to this is human. I mean, maybe I your cat's so. listening, but <laughs> they're not. They are your cat. You know, you know, even your dog. They only speak a little English. <laughs> you know, or whatever. You know, so we're we are the ones responsible. So we have to do the work. Okay, it's not the bear's fault, and it's not the elephant's fault. It's not the dolphin's fault. It's not the you know fill in the blank. All of the species on Earth, and they're not just animal species. There's plant species and fungi species. There's all kinds of life out there. We don't even know the half of it. We're just babies. So we need to respect that life. That life absolutely has as much right to live as we do. And we have to live that. And if we don't live that every day, it doesn't work. Mm. And I think, I think it's about waking up in the morning and acknowledging I am a human being. I am an animal. I am nature. I am not separated from nature. I do not need to reconnect with nature because I'm already nature. Anything I say about reconnecting with nature is a construct. It's a language developed to separate me from nature. Do you see what I'm saying? That's interesting. Uh, 
I mean, a lot of people talk about the ability of psychedelics to reconnect them to nature and to improve nature relatedness. I think that's the scientific term yeah. that's being used a lot, right? And that's very nice. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the actual experience of saying, okay, yeah, the natural world, like we live, we've created, our species have created these very urban environments where maybe there's not anything that we think of as nature. But as I even look around, even in my office, there's bamboo, there's wood, there's all kinds of fibers and things. You know, I've got a, a bag here from Colombia. I've got all these indigenous, wonderful, beautiful things, and they're all made out of real fibers. Those were plants. You know, there's plenty here. And P.S. The whole house was built by a human and it's all real things that come from the earth or they've been made from things that come from their, their nature. They're part of nature. Mm -hmm. So you can look at it like that. But then you can also say, I want to look outside and see some wild things that are non-human and experience them and appreciate them and learn from them. And they are my teachers. I have birds all over the place. Chris and I get crazy if there's any kind of wildlife that shows up around our house. We're like, oh, come quick. <laughs> We're really silly. I and I so love that he's like that. Yeah, I love that you're both like that. <laughs> but, you know, that, that brings up this divine feminine, divine masculine thing in a great way because a lot of men would be, you know, maybe not comfortable with being so excited about seeing a you know a baby woodchuck he saw one this today he's so excited they're so cute oh they're so cute and fun <laughs> wild out there doing this woodchuck thing just right. like we're doing our human thing right so some men would feel maybe that's a little you know oh, that's a little girly well who says so i have this wonderful piece that i that i want to read okay. um these are just somebody's ideas. There are many ideas of what is divine feminine and what is divine masculine based on characteristics. And I want you to just listen. And, 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 and I think you'll come to the same conclusion as I did, which is this is ridiculous. This is absurd. We're, any of us could be any of these things. Okay, so here they are. This is classic. Um, okay, the so-called feminine is relational, loving, giving, while the so-called masculine is independent, rational, aggressive, and sometimes violent and warlike. Now that's very simplified, and there are many different versions of these things, but obviously any of us can be any of those things and are. Yeah. So it, it, it's problematic to- It is. To, it's very binary idea, and we are not binary in that sense. We, we are the divine spectrum, and I don't mean gender. I mean, just in terms of personality and and expression in the world we're, we're not simple beings and not and nature isn't really very simple nature is you know i call it divine diversity because i like that term you know that there is something super healthy about diversity yeah it really is so i think that while i love the divine feminine and i think that i think it comes down to for us females who have been raised female in a male dominated society Okay. We've had a particular experience. And yes, males who are, you know, who identify as male, who've been brought up as males in this culture, or anybody in whatever their gender experience is, we've all been brought up in a male dominated culture. So we've all had experiences with an abusive culture that is abusive. And 
P.S. It would not necessarily have been better if it was all female dominated. In fact, I do not believe it would be because I think power over corrupts. And people say, well, why would it be power over? Well, it is power over. A matriarchy means the matriarchs are ruling. A patriarchy means the patriarchs are ruling. Either of those things are ruling over someone else that has a group of people who have been othered. That's not healthy. So people are like, oh, we need matriarchy. I don't agree. And I'm sorry if that upsets some people. I'm, I'm very open to listening to other people's conversations. I'm agnostic. I don't know. I just share where I am in my life at the moment. You know? Oh, and I, I just want to go back to the know thyself. I'm skipping around. But yeah, just no, that's okay. That's perfect. That was it. one of the maxims, right? Yes. The first maxim is know thyself. The second maxim, which is hilarious, but very very important for the psychedelic scene is everything in moderation or uh, nothing in excess. I mean, these are translations, right? So that means be really careful of, of, of obsessively doing one thing, whatever it is. Just yeah. if you're, you know, you don't actually have to take LSD every weekend for 20 years. You don't have to do it that much. You do not have to go and do ayahuasca for six months every single night and then say, oh, now I want to try a combo and do that. This is going on. And you know this. You've seen this, right? You've heard about this. These people who just keep doing more and that's excessive. Yeah. So the ancient Greeks, if you will, again, they didn't call themselves Greeks. And it wasn't just where Greece is today because they also were taken over by people. But Delphi was right there, right on the Peloponnesus, which is where my people happen to be from. So I'm talking about that because that's what I'm looking at right now. So everything in moderation or, you know, we're all we're all guilty of doing certain things more than we maybe should. But just to watch that, that it was one of three maxims that they learned from their psychedelic culture from working with psychedelics plants forever. And they weren't a perfect culture either, of course, but they admitted that they were human and they had identified these particular three at Delphi. Other places had different maxims and different ideas, but here they'd identified these three as critical. And I think they're funny because they're so damn human and they're very psychedelic. They apply to the psychedelics. The third one is loosely translated again, something to the effect of Knowing, absolute knowing is the road to ruin slash insanity. So interesting. Being really super duper sure and non-budging in something is not healthy, basically, is what they're saying. Beware, beware of kind of. Right. You know? So I love that because I'm agnostic. And to me, that's that is the definition of, of agnosticism is that I feel that who the hell am I to be absolutely 100 percent sure about anything? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I live as if I am sure of certain things, but I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, and I think that in our our I think a lot of what's going on today uh, with so many opinions and, and judgments and cancel culture, a lot of times, some people need to be canceled. Let's be real, but it's really gone <laughs> out of, it's completely out of control. It is out of control. And people yeah. are very quick to judge and, and they don't actually know what they're talking about half the time or who they don't know the person or the people. They don't know them. No, there's, so there's no nuance. It, yeah, it's, it's exactly. So, that's actually not evolved behavior. So 
we need to look at that. In no, our in one. our lives, our personal again starts with ourselves, moves ever outward. And so, what are we doing in ourselves? You know, um, anybody who's been brought up with one of the, you know, and with, actually with any any culture, there are. I wanted to say religions, okay, but any religion is going to teach you there's indoctrination that happens. It just is. But there's there's that indoctrination of different types that we all grow up in in whatever country or culture we grow up in. Even our families have it too. And some of it is great. It's not all bad, which is why I think these these plants and fungi are so great for helping us to figure that out ourselves. I, you know, sort sort through it. Sort through it, think about it, really think about it, consider it. You don't have to have the answer that day or that night when you're tripping. You know, allow yourself to think about it. That's the beauty of integration, and it can go on for years. And there's that chain uh, chain effect, you know, chain reaction. You, you shift one idea, then something else opens for you over here. And all of a sudden, you're realizing, you know, there was this whole other piece over here. That's how it works. That's great. And so, so those are the three at, at Delphi. And by the way, even though Apollo ran the joint, <laughs> all I know he did though, all of the actual, you know, the, the, they were sort of priestesses that that's not the word they were used. It was Pythia. They were, you can say it different ways, but like Python for the early serpent, they think. Okay. These were these priestesses who were the oracles. So, even though it was a patriarchy by then, all these big kings and such came, noble men, whatever, came in and were basically at the feet of this woman, right? So you, you see these very strange perversions within male dominance, where on the one hand, the, the women are really oppressed, and on the other hand, they're worshipped. See, I think it was Gloria Steinem, but I'm not sure. But there was a big 60s um, feminist and 70s feminist concept of a pedestal is just another kind of stage. Uh, Sorry, cage. Stage Mm. two. I'm (laughs) thinking of like I'm thinking of like um, a catwalk or like somebody dancing on a a, um, something, you know, like a. What are those called? Those little a pedestal. Our pedestal. There literally are pedestals. You'll have like a, a dancer up there sexually dancing. Right. Yeah. But you also have to, yeah. And there's so many just types types of pedestals, and and so the divine feminine is not to put us on a pedestal and think of us as actually these goddesses. I don't think that's what it's for. I think it's for us. First of all, it's for us females who have been oppressed by the patriarchy to have something positive to look at as a beautiful, complex expression archetype of part of being female. And if you're, if you're, you know, looking at it from a non-binary perspective, then you can look at it as the feminine, if you like, or you could just simply look at it as an aspect of being human. But these archetypes for us, these divine feminine figures, if you will, Artemis, whatever you want, whatever, you know, what Freya is amazing and North, North mythology. And um, you go into all these different, they all have wonderful goddesses. If you look far away, far enough back, and it's not just goddesses, it's other archetypes. And just like the great, these, these, these sort of characters, if you will, that then communicate with each other. These are all within us. 
So if you look, I'll just give you one example. This is my favorite example, but there are others. Hermes is a male archetype, is a divine theme, divine masculine in my culture. But Hermes is also, he represents, he, you may see him as a, a male form, usually a young male form. You would be a great Hermes. Um, often in late, most people think of him as Mercury, but Mer, you know, Mercury is actually a the Roman appropriation of Hermes. But Hermes is the messenger god. He is actually the spirit of communication. So he's not just a physical form. He embodies a, an idea, a force of the universe. Hmm. And that isn't really gendered. Right. Just like Aphrodite is love. Well, love isn't really gendered. Totally. She's just gendered in these myths, in this language. She's gendered. And, and then they can just have, you know, those two have an affair and they have a baby and the baby is Eros in some stories. Other stories, she has a love. These are these are um, outside of wedlock. Right. So these are love. It's a love child. Eros is right. a love child. And in another, she has one with Aries, the god of war. And that's Eros. So these, these things are kind of fluid. Right. Yeah. These stories change over time. And in the earlier, earlier depictions, Gaia has Eros as a son, and it's her first. Right. So that's how important Eros is. Um, but these things, the point is that all of these are divine masculine or divine feminine. There also was Hermaphrodite. I love that because Hermaphrodite is a hermaphrodite. So Hermes and Aphrodite, Hermaphrodite. Right. Interesting. Both sexes. Yeah. Both love. So much love. All love. You know, like whoa, they got it all. Right. There was. It wasn't. You know, and it depends again what time of, of Greece and what area of Greece. Uh, but it was very open and and uh, accepted. And that, there was that was a, Hermaphrodite was a god, hmm. or a god goddess. Right. <laughs> I don't know how you would say it actually. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um. So so I think I think these. You know, on the one hand. If it's helpful to you to understand yourself by identifying supposed feminine, feminine, yeah, feminine characteristics as opposed to divine females or fem, divine feminine characters, right? right? Then that's great. But the truth of the matter is, boys, I've been around boys and not just human boys but you know little male puppies male you know many different types of species i've brought up and some of them were male you know and i can tell you that yeah sometimes there were certain traits that tended to be there like you know if it's a little lamb you know i had i brought up several lambs from very young and some were female and some were male and then the males start to butt you like that it's like their heads you know they they do that thing where they butt each other on the heads yeah. come together seem like rams and then sadly they you know they take they they castrate the poor little things um so they don't grow their horns but they still have that masculinity in them and they still behave that way and that's absolutely male to their species so nobody really knows what we have and what we don't and we're really exploring all that anyway right now so yeah i look at it like this we are who we are as individuals who are you how do you feel do you feel like what was this silly this particular list again this one do you feel like you're relational <laughs> as a man do you feel that you're loving as a, of course you are are you giving of course you are. i'm talking about you 
Um, so am I as a female independent? Hell yeah. Am I rational? Yeah, a lot more than people think. Very, actually. Aggressive? Eh, not so much. Um, no, I, I, I'm assertive. I can be aggressive if I have to, but I'm not comfortable with it. Sometimes violent and warlike? Mm, only if somebody, if I have to defend something again usually nature i might get violent if somebody was trying to like take down a big redwood tree or something i don't i don't know that i would but you know my point is that I, almost all of those so-called masculine qualities i have and i don't i don't feel very masculine right interesting yeah well i appreciate you going through all these like just laying the land here with the, the archetypes i think is just so interesting not really I wasn't expecting to go into such stuff with archetypes, but I think that's so useful for people. One of the questions I was going to ask you was going to be, you know, in your case, maybe like what, what are some tips that you could offer for like a woman, let's say a young woman these days who like wants to tap into their divine feminine, whatever mm. that means. And I think, I feel like you probably already answered the question to some extent with what you shared there about archetypes. And I think you've left a lot there for anyone who's listening to kind of dive deeper into some of these topics and learn. And I think you probably did answer that question. What do you think? Well, you know, you know, I've got these again. The indigenous friends of mine have, you know, who have their own trajectory of this kind of work. They have given me really wonderful hints to find my own ancestry, which turns out to be indigenous, and not long ago either. You know, we were refugees. We didn't have a choice to come over, and we left our homelands, but we did not leave our culture, and our identity is still very connected. So. For me, I got my DNA test done because I wanted to be sure. I wanted to understand. I didn't want to be, you know, like one of my friends um, says she leads peyote ceremonies and she's indigenous um, to the United right. States. Okay. Pacific Northwest. She said, I asked her, I said, why? Because I've heard a lot of people are really, it's very controversial, these DNA tests. And, you know, it's another conversation, yeah. right? But she says, because people can be deluded and delusion is not healthy and we're, we're doing something about healing, I want them to know for sure if they think that they're Native American, then I want to know that they really actually are because I want them to know or whatever it is. I want them to know this is really true, truly your genetic background. Now, that opens up a whole different can of worms of there are plenty of people who live in a different way. They think about reincarnation, for example, or that does our DNA definitely dictate who we are? And these are all big questions that we can't go into today. But for me, I love the journey. It's been great for me. And I'm working with other women doing this. And if men want to join or anyone else, that's awesome too. Starting with a DNA test, and I I do a basic one that has a good graphic, so you can have a good basic understanding. And then I've gone to a different group that goes really deep and has rare genes and genetic markers from the oldest remains. Sounds weird, but the only hu oldest human remains that we have, oh. and those they're all digital. They're all digitized now, so they can be shared which is amazing i mean the technology behind dna has yeah, has completely transformed it's just blown so much out of the water lately it's recent so and they keep finding more things because another technology can help you find ruins that were buried under the earth so archaeology is is going wild and it's hand in hand with genetic research because the tracking of the human genome has to do with where we started and we're going backwards to find where we started. So we're tracking that migratory path, which we can't really totally do, but we're just, just getting started. 
So for me, um, then again, go back, you find who well, you, who are your basic ancestors, if you, if you don't know. Again, I think I mentioned that I found out that I was more Jewish than I thought I was. So that was a big deal for me. It meant my family had hidden that, that side of the family. And then I had to, I knew why. I mean, it all, everything just kind of fell into place like a puzzle. It was actually really, really hard. It still is very sad, but it's also very wonderful because my grandmother, you know, she, she may or may not have known she was Jewish, but she, if she knew she did not choose to tell me I was, and we were very close and she may not have known because her mother may not have told her. Her mother may have wanted it to never be known in the next generations so that nobody could ever find out, so that nobody could kill us. So we're talking about genocide. And I'd known about it on the other side. So, you know, on my father's 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 side, I knew about that Jewish group running from genocide, but I did not know my father's father's well, my father's mother, right. rather. So that has been a major shift for me. And I haven't even begun to look wow. at it. It's so big and it's hard. So I take it in little pieces. My other side, my maternal side has been just this fascinating opening for me. I always already knew about it, but knowing the genetics and knowing that it goes as far back as we've got from those places, you know, and, and that has been empowering. Mm, I bet. Yeah. That's inspiring to hear that you're doing that work. I think it's fun for everybody. Chris isn't as interested, but he's beginning to kind of come. You can see his ears pick up and go, huh. You know, because I I told him recently, I said, well, you're from a particular place in Italy. And as it turns out, ironically, that a specific place is known for being one of the early Greek colonies from the first Greeks, it's very likely that you also carry those markers. We should get that, get that ancient to us for fun. Why not? Why not? Yeah. Right? So he's curious. So whoever you are, you know, it's not saying that you're not still you, but it's a fun way for me anyway, to explore my own heritage mm-hmm. and really look at like how, how did my ancestors view, how would they maybe imagine me? in this time it's it's all very philosophical but if you bring in the sacred plants and fungi as your guides and as your companions in this i just think it's it's very beautiful yeah it can be incredible thank you zo thanks for sharing about that work that you're doing with with your lineage and and diving into some of those archetypes and just everything that we've covered uh in the course of just about an hour just over an hour here it's been great um, you've covered so much. I think there's going to be, uh, lots of, we're going to try and I'm going to try and um, include a lot of the information here in like the description and some of the concepts you've introduced. Um, so thank you. And, and as we wrap up here, I wanted to maybe ask you one last question and just kind of a general question. You know, if you could share at this time, like one important message, um, which could be absorbed into the hearts of everyone, what would that message be? And maybe, you know, since it is, we're going to be releasing this on earth day, like maybe that could be a message around helping people to maybe as you say, not connect to nature, but maybe remember that they are nature. Um, but it could just be any message that you really feel is is dear in your heart to share right now, um, whatever's coming up for you. I think there's so many. And so the one that just happened to come up is that may sound a bit hokey, but I think it's true, is that love is the the force through which all life comes. Like there's love in everything. Mm. 
And in this divine web of life that we live, that we are only a little part of, we've just dominated, yeah. right? That is a wondrous thing. That web of life is, is extraordinary. So to keep that love and to keep that wonder alive, that curiosity that is, is really akin to wonder, you know, but the wonder of nature, as well as the respect and the love for, for nature, including yourself, is it means that everything you come you come upon in your path is something to explore that's wonderful. I mean, you know, not the bad things, obviously, but looking at things, taking time to quietly, without harming and without owning and without capturing something wild in that wild things environment, observing respectfully, lovingly, you'll learn and you learn and you learn and you learn. And what I've started to learn, I've always loved other species anyway, but there was a point where I realized I'm learning about human beings by watching other species because I began to learn that there are individuals, even if most people think, oh, there are like right now all the goldfish, the goldfinch boys are turning yellow because it's spring and it's so sweet. So I love watching them because there's loads of them here. And the females are just, they stay brown to, to be, to blend in, to camouflage with their nest. And the boys become very, very bright to attract the, the females. But as a species, they have things in common, but individually they are different. I know different ones. Oh, look at that sweet little one. <laughs> you know, they, they have personalities and, and guess what? They also learn from experience. You know, some of them, are, they know me to be a friend and they're okay with me being around. Others are terrified of me and immediately run off because it's, you know, they've learned somewhere that I am potentially a, a predator, which I am potentially a predator. I just wouldn't be, but they learn from experience just like we do. And so then I say, okay, but there's certain things about them that are absolutely goldfinch, no matter what. They're always going to be that. And so looking and enjoying and, and just honoring these other species, whatever they are. And people do this. I mean, you, you know, if you are, let's say you're a plant person, you've got nature around you. You may, you may just think, oh, that's just like a little potted plant and my house is decorative. Actually, it's a living thing. It's part of nature, as are you. You know, instead of just keeping it alive so it looks good on your desk, look at it closely, watch it. Watch how it, 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 it grows and changes with the light, with your love, with your watering or not watering, where it is in the room. If you bring another plant to it, will it, will it grow better? All of those things. You're, you're realizing you're, you're, you're honoring another life form, you see? And by doing that and just continuing it, I mean, many, many people I'm preaching to the converted here, and they're already on this <laughs> yeah. path, but I think we can all do more of it. Yeah. And I think that that is the way to truly understand. And it just never ends. Mm. And you don't have to be expert at anything. You can be, we can be generalists about this, but to learn details, go down those rabbit holes and learn about it. Like if you're curious about what is going on with, uh, plastic pollution in the ocean 
for example, go down that rabbit hole. You've got this thing called Google now that <laughs> never existed when I was your age. That is amazing. You can find true statistics. You can find people who are focused on this. You can learn what is really going on and why does it matter? And it's a, it's a rabbit hole. It's a massive problem. And there are many problems like this. So I'm not saying go down and just make that your whole life. And maybe you will. Maybe you'll be inspired to take up that fight. There are many fights that need to happen. So there's nothing wrong with being a generalist too, or to learn a little bit of a, of a lot of things because you need to know these things. These are all things that are part of whether we're going to destroy this planet or not destroy this planet. And remember, it is not all about us. So if I was to leave with one thing, it would be that, you know, we tend to be very self-focused. It's part of our species, I believe. And that's narcissism. And it's okay. We all have a little bit of that. Even psychologists will say that. Okay. But I'm talking about forgetting that the others exist or judging ourselves to be more important or being too self-focused as a species. Right. And it starts with you. So remember that we're not the only ones. All of them matter. They all matter as much as we do. We can't live without them, not in the way that we do. And, you know, we're living in the age of extinction. So this really matters. Totally. This is not something to wait to do later. This is something for your whole life to learn about and think about every day. All right. That's it. I mean, that wasn't a one line, of course. <laughs> that was a, I don't do that as well. Have you noticed? I might have noticed, <laughs> but that's one of the beautiful things about you. I appreciate you being able to expand on um, anything that you set your mind to and that you're passionate about. And that was a really beautiful, inspiring message to leave everyone with. So thank you so much. So, and thank you again. I want to just express immense gratitude for you joining us on this first episode of the, the flying stage podcast and just sharing all of your wisdom with us on just a few of these topics. I feel like we covered quite a lot and I'm just feeling extremely grateful and energized after uh, that conversation with you. Well, thank you. And happy earth day. Earth day is every day. <laughs> um uh, lots of love and love to everybody mm -hmm. lots of love to you as well thank you zo thank you so much for listening today if you enjoyed this episode please consider leaving a review or sharing it with your friends if you would like to stay tuned to future updates with the flying sage make sure to head on to our website and sign up for our email newsletter you can also follow us on instagram as well if you are based in vancouver consider becoming a member. We've recently just launched a Substack newsletter called The Flying Sage Journal, which serves as a key to access discounts on merch and events, and even gives you access to exclusive events too. We're looking forward to have you tune in to our next episode, and until then, wishing you blessings and love.